0: And welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Markets show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle. I am joined today on our 52nd podcast. We are one year old today, so happy birthday to us. We're joined by Stephen Wilmot, company's editor. Hi, John. How are you doing? Very well. Good. And uh, over in the control room, Graham Davis. How are you, Graham? Hello, John. Very well. Good. And you've been uh, looking after news again this back, week.
1: Back in the news saddle once more.
0: Yeah, it's not going to last for long, though. No.
1: Bradley's make back the, tomorrow.
0: Make the most of it. Yep. Uh, and uh, when he uh, Dane's to join us, we will uh, have James Norrington uh, here with us, too, because James has written a couple of features in the magazine this week, which uh, it will be good to discuss. Okay. So, uh, lots going on this week. Let's start with... Uh, the news uh, in the world at large. Seven days. Graham, Mm. you had the joy of putting this together this week and uh, some interesting little snippets there.
1: Yeah, it's been a busy week. Um, uh, The usual sort of uh, economic macro stuff floating around. Markets fell a bit on China concerns and then today they've bounced back because um, US economic data looks a bit iffy and uh, rate rises are disappearing over the horizon again. So is that good news? I'm not sure, but the equity markets like it.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, a recurring story yeah, now absolutely. it seems and uh I mean, to my mind, the, the link between what the U.S. rates are going to do and what markets are doing is becoming increasingly tenuous. Because I think the last time that we we knew they postponed the rise, the markets actually fell in mm. response. So yes, yeah, it's it's it's, it's a, becoming very hard to second guess what, very uh, difficult to, what's what's to, going to happen.
1: To read that one, yeah, but but thankfully we have plenty of sort of corporate stuff going on, um, which which is of interest. We had a couple of big M and A deals announced uh, and some very interesting IPOs as well. I mean, the, the main M M&A, the week started with the final terms of. The SAB Miller and AB InBev deal, which looks like it might be the third biggest takeover in history.
0: Wow. Mm. Well, it's big business, Beer.
1: Yeah. Big business. Um,
0: I mean, you've been looking at this, Stephen, haven't you? Yeah,
2: absolutely. And it's a very interesting deal. I mean, it, it is on the face of it very complex, but actually, for retail shareholders, I don't really need to worry about the main complexity, which is the fact that there's this partial um, share offer as well, because that's basically been designed for. The two largest SAB shareholders, uh, who are Altria, the U.S. tobacco group, and a company called Bevco, which is actually just the family investment vehicle of the Santo Domingo family, which sold its Bavaria brand, which is the leading brand in Colombia, which apparently I find this statistic extraordinary, amounted to four percent of Colombian GDP at its peak.
0: What was the rest of (laughs) Colombian GDP? Okay,
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, let's assume that GDP. Uh, was a was a non black market a white market figure. Yes. Um, <laughs> I've been watching
0: uh, uh Narcos on Netflix. If anyone uh has Netflix, I'd strongly recommend watching that. It's absolutely brilliant. But uh we've talked about Netflix a lot in the past. Let's talk about SAB. Right um,
2: now. yeah, anyway, so um yeah, there's this partial share deal thing which which is uh, very, makes all the statements if any Readers of SAB shareholders have been trying to follow the statements have been very complicated because of because of this partial share sale thing. But anyway, you don't really need to worry about that because getting the the cash offer is a no-brainer. It's higher, forty-four pounds per share, um, which is a good sort of fifty percent above above where they were a month ago before this latest approach. Even though, you know, you could argue that there's a lot of there's quite a takeover premium baked into the the price even then so yeah. i mean it's a really good price well let's SAB,
0: i've even when i was covering the beverage sector i found it a very challenging company to to call mm, yeah, it always, and it always, it always, it seemed always to defy looked, expectations always looked expensive yeah
2: and that was partly because there was this takeover premium it's interesting salutary in a way because it it, it, was, it was worth it in the end because they, people did get 50% more than even that so um who who did believe in the story the the reality was it was the second largest brewer abi is a very is a famously acquisitive company which was the largest brewer. I mean it's easy to say in retrospect, but it did always look like they were going to make an approach. Well um, the whole was, industry was, has been characterized by M and A over the years. Exactly, and because it's because of the falling volumes in the West and it's a very economies of scale driven business, um, there's been a sort of cast iron case for consolidation.
0: It kinda of could be the end. I mean this this looks like the last the, big yeah, deal the, in the sector. end
2: game. Yeah, no absolutely I mean people have pointed out that yeah, other large brewers are Private Heineken is um, well, it's not private, but it's uh, family controlled. Family controlled, yeah, and they're not selling out. Yeah, I mean, ABI has obviously bought Budweiser in the US, and Sab bought Miller. Um, so yeah, they've both the, these two companies, in fact, have consolidated the sector, and now they've they've merged. So well, they will actually. It'll take probably people expect a year or, or so to work through all the complication, uh, the competition concerns.
0: Yeah, because there'll be a few bits to sell off, presumably. From yeah, both the Miller
2: cause jv in the u.s which is sab's exposure to to the u.s market it, i mean one assumes it will be sold to the uh, molson Coors company mm-hmm. which is uh which is the canadian leading bring company so they've got an obvious uh buyer there for the the jv and there are problems in there's also problems in china problems meaning both abi and sab have big market shares and so that's an issue.
0: Yeah, so there'll be a few smaller deals yet to come in the sector. Yeah. And obviously uh, as we know from the recent purchase of Meantime, they're on the lookout for, for small yeah. high growth assets. Well, as well. I think
2: mean, the UK is an interesting one because yeah, it's not SAB's core market in a way, but basically that yeah, the rise of craft brewing in the US and the fact that the UK has always been you know very dominated by ales and these small local brewing. Mm. companies has always been a challenge for these big global brewers so it really yeah there's i think one of the interesting things about this story is how little political attention it's got after the fuss that was made over to astrazeneca earlier in the year it's interesting that this deal which is about as big has received almost no interest i guess it's yeah it comes down to the fact that well south african brewers which merged with miller which is a u.s brand so Mm. it, it kind of feels Like a foreign deal, in a way, isn't it?
0: Yeah, okay. Interesting. I noticed Diageo had flogged its wine business this week as well. Yeah,
2: to an Australian company. Um, I think that's... I mean, Diageo's got these problems in China because of the clampdown on... um Gift giving and mm. seems like chi- as in ch- in China as in the West, giving a bottle of spirits is a classic gift. So, yeah. it's it's had its problems, and so it's you know it's trying to focus on its core business, the classic, the, of, usual. Yeah. the
0: usual, usual. <laughs> I'm talking to China. I noticed there was some pretty pretty iffy data out from from China, Graham.
1: Yeah, the balance of trade um, has ballooned out to sixty billion dollars. Uh, imports in September fell by seventeen point seven percent. So, uh, it signs further signs of of Real domestic problems, potential domestic weakness in China. Uh, there, so um exports dropped a tiny bit, but the, the, it was the imports that was the big uh, headline figure this week. And notably, Chinese GDP figure is expected on Monday. Seven percent. Seven percent is what they're targeting. <laughs> but across the board, pretty pretty much across the board, analysts are coming in at six point seven, six point six. So it looks like they might undershoot. A little bit. What that will do to the equity markets? Who knows? Mm, but yes. I mean, another good. What happens then? Normally, what has happened in previous uh, quarters is that the the, you know, the figures look a little bit weak, and everybody says, "Oh well, the Chinese all launch more stimulus, and markets go up." So we'll, we'll see what happens next. Ah, uh, stimulus, stimulus, indeed. always there when you need it. Yeah. yeah. I was
2: gonna say, another, another good anecdotal example of uh, weak Chinese imports might be Burberry's profit warning this oh, morning. Oh yes, <laughs> yes, it's <laughs> not, not in this magazine, but like Diageo, Burberry is struggling. To sell its luxury goods to China,
0: yeah. Well, it was always always a big part of the uh, the story there, China. And uh...
2: but but they yeah, it was always a big part of the story. But somehow, I mean, the shares are off twelve percent or were when mm, I fantastic. looked this morning. Yeah, and um, that's because they said um, that yeah, in the second quarter things slowed. At uh, the second quarter, meaning July to September, trade uh, business slowed, slow, and they mentioned China in particular. So it, yeah, it, it's, it seems to have been a Significant effect, there. Mm. Mm.
1: Mm.
0: Worries, worries indeed. Um, let's turn back to M and A uh, because we had some other uh, little deals back here.
1: Yeah, two. Well, two deals here, which are which are sort of two 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 love triangles, shall we say? Ooh because both Exchanging and a uh, United Arab Emirates hospital operator Al Noor and both these companies are quoted here uh, and both uh, look like they've got competing bids on the table for them Exchanging has accepted an offer from Capita but whilst accepting the op- offer from Capita has said that it is still in talks with Apollo a private equity group on a potential Bid uh, of 170p, which would trump Capita's 160p a share mm. bid. The Alnor one's a little bit more complicated. The South African business has has agreed a combination of sorts with Alnor, but a rival NMC Health has also said that it wants would like to do a deal with Alnor. So well,
0: yeah, NMC is listed here, it, isn't it?
1: Alnor mm. shares went up went up twenty percent. On the announcement of the deal with, um, with, with with MediClinic, which is the South African suitor, but NMC is waiting in the wings there, so there could be more action there. Just two two interesting little uh, trysts there.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting company. I know it runs, it's actually hospitals in the United Arab Emirates. Mm. That's yeah. it. Yeah, which but is it's a, good which, business.
1: Which is what NMC does. Yeah, MediClinic is slightly different in that it has South African interests. MediClinic's
2: really quite large. I mean, it's a five mm. five billion pound company, or oh, I mean you know, quoting Rand in Johannesburg, but it's a really very substantial company and and if Mediclinic and does succeed in doing this reverse takeover of Al which will involve it taking its London listing, it will it will shoot into the FTSE hundred.
0: Okay. Well healthcare is uh is big business and uh, yeah. only set to go one way really Okay. Right. And, oh, James! Nice of you to join us. How are you doing, James? Um, I'm all right, John. Actually, yeah, you know, yeah,
3: had to warm up properly.
0: Good. Okay. Well, I hope you warmed up because I'll be quizzing you uh, strongly in a minute. Um, okay. So that's uh, this week's M&A. Let's talk about IPOs because um, been yeah. a, a, an exciting front there as well.
1: Yeah. Well, tomorrow, uh, Friday of this week, should see the um, well, we'll see the, the the London debut of WorldPay. Um, it started conditional trading on Tuesday and the shares have been popular. This is a, an electronic payments company. And mm-hmm. Actually, it's uh, they're going to be valued at, at north of £6 billion. It's, 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 it's a candidate to go straight into the FTSE 100 at the next review and the biggest IPO in London since the Royal Mail.
0: Well, this is a hot sector. Mm. I, mean, this is, uh, I mean, payments is one part of what a bigger term would perhaps be f- fintech that people yeah. are banding around mm-hmm. at the moment. Yeah. Uh, that was a big sigh there, Stephen. Are you entirely <laughs> convinced by uh, by the whole
2: concept? <laughs> no, no. It's uh, yeah. It appeals to all sides of London, doesn't it? You know. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Silicon but roundabout meets.
0: Indeed, uh, fintech yeah. is uh, big in the UK. It's one of the biggest areas, unsurprisingly, given the the, the, the predominance of the city. Um, but yes, yeah, a well-paid Kind of, it's like a PayPal thing, I guess. Yeah, it's
1: payment processing. But I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's a huge operation. Not many people may have heard of it, but it's a huge operation. It, it's... um it spun
0: out of RBS, wasn't it?
1: Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. but a couple of private equity uh, groups took it on and have invested quite heavily in it um, rather than taking uh, costs out, which is what... I- Private equity often does, uh, but it, it it's uh, processed three hundred and seventy billion pounds with the transactions last year, and the, the first half of this year, uh, transactions of one hundred and ninety five billion. So, this is you know there's, there's a lot of money passing through its systems, uh, and I think Theron here quoted first half uh, revenues of one point nine four billion and profits of one hundred and eighty three million. Yeah, big up thirteen percent. So growth, you know, it's a growing company.
0: So I mean, I presume we haven't looked at this in much detail yet. Uh, So I I doubt we have a strong view. No, I mean,
1: Theron sort of gave an overview of it uh, this week in the news section. um, But I mean, it also said that at the moment, it looks like at the listing price, it's valued at around 16 times underlying cash profits. But we, we need to have a closer look at the financials uh, before we come to a firm recommendation on this. But you know, it's it's not, you know, this is a very competitive field. It's up mm. against people like PayPal. Uh, optimal Payments. Uh, optimal this Payments. Which That's have,
0: another UK-listed company.
1: Which is also a tip of ours, I think. Oh, is it
0: really?
2: I know Theron's been very keen on that sector, the mobile payments. I mean, everyone, you know, the and Ian Smith, our banking guy, he, he wrote... That end of cash um, feature, which talks about this sort of step change that we've seen with people in London, you know, using contactless cards, the tube, and And it seems to be
0: enabled by mobile uh, proliferation as well, smartphone proliferation. Yes. yes. So, yeah, interesting stuff. And I noticed Apple Pay, of course, you've got as well lurking there in the background, which uh, I noticed is being accepted in more and more places. So, uh, it's a growing field. It is a growing field, but then there's a lot of room to grow into. you know the, the suggestion that we heard the other day at our uh, growth seminar from uh, Scottish Mortgage Trust was that you know payments is a big business and they're stepping in to avoid that you know bigger banks, the bigger processors haven't perhaps innovated as quickly as they should. Mm. So there's definitely room for uh, for someone like WellPay to take a bit of market there. Yeah.
1: Not absolutely. good news for check printers at the likes of Delarue and the, and, and so forth. But that's yes. another story.
0: Yes, absolutely. Uh, okay, I noticed we have another IPO. Um, yeah, it's well, actually, coming up soon
1: there's two more i mean briefly not probably one some of our some of our readers might be interested in this but they're not gonna be able to get hold of the shares very easily is ferrari is uh, is it, is floating or fiat is, is floating 10 percent of the ferrari business right. in new york which will give it a valuation uh of around 10 billion dollars i think i think i'll give that one a miss actually yeah yeah
0: exactly. um McCarthy and stone looks a lot more interested
1: yes formerly a quoted company in the uk it was taken private um, in, in, in 2006. But yes, it, it's a retirement specialist builder, um, which has 70% of that market, which is a growing market. And that is looking at a valuation of about a billion pounds mm. uh, in, a, in an IPO, which you, you can imagine is going to be a popular one. I would
0: imagine so. Mm. I mean, retirement properties is something I've been looking at for, with a pers- really? from a personal perspective, mm. not for me. <laughs> <laughs> something you haven't told us, John? No, <laughs> yeah, I'm retiring. So no, we're looking at um, my, my uh, wife's father mm. is elderly. So we're looking to move them close to us. McCarthy and Stone building a big development at the top of my road. Um, So we are going to have a look at that. They're a big developer Mm. and they're premium. So the prices of these flats are not cheap. Yeah. not cheap at all but of course the other aspect of the retirement properties is the the service charges yeah um so yeah lots of sort of on-site care facilities that kind of stuff and yeah it's it's, it's expensive stuff so uh, i would imagine a good business for someone to be in um so again something i suspect we'll take a, a good look at definitely um
1: it, it will be interesting when it when it floats to have a look a proper look at a you know the the operating margins and so forth and how that compares to the standard house builders and are they really a premium you know are they a premium should they be given a premium valuation
0: i would suspect so but
2: uh are they for sale then or you buy them you buy them yeah mm. you buy them so it's a house builder but essentially in the niche uh, exactly,
0: exactly with services added on but with extra services added on which i guess was, was where the extra margin potentially comes from
1: mm. it's gonna be very interesting to have a deep look at that when it comes out
0: yeah first. absolutely um is it something you come across in your uh, travels as a property journalist in the past, Stephen? Retirement?
2: Um, well, not really. I mean, Helical Bar, which is a developer, it got, it got into it pre-crisis, I know, and it, it has long been considered a, an attractive niche, mm. but um, the property sector, as far as I know, doesn't do, do it at all, with the exception of Helical, and I don't think Helical's done much in it lately. I can't think of anyone who has... Their fingers in that pie, so it's
0: funny you do- you thought it'd be, uh, you know, more prevalent on the market, given yeah. the, the demographic trends that uh, that we're seeing. No,
2: absolutely, um, and people, everyone agrees that there's a provision of this kind of property, and you know that we've got this ancient housing stock completely ill-adapted to the aging population, and yeah, it's a it's a common complaint you hear that there's a business need for it. But anyway, so that that might be a reason why it attracts a premium on the stock market—the mm. fact that it's a pure play on a sector you can't really get elsewhere, seemingly.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, talking of property, let's uh, quickly turn to your taking stock column this week because uh, because you've written yes, about commercial I, property.
2: Yes, yeah, I had an interesting chat with a guy called uh, Mike Brown who's the um CEO of a, a company called Presbury that um used to run Max Property and now runs Secure Income Trust and and that kind of made me want to have a, a look at commercial property again. And uh, yeah, I mean it, it's just a, it's a market which is doing incredibly well basically. And everyone is bullish on it. And obviously, that does make one nervous a bit. But I can't quite... I mean, a bit like the house builders we were talking about. Well, actually, I was talking about with Algie Hall, our tips editor. It's sort of hard to see what... You know, it'll turn at some point, but it doesn't look like that the moment has yet come. I mean, the the, the, the bull factors are that it, it, it offers a an attractive yield, particularly relative to um, to, to bonds. But, it, but even, I mean, the differential between pro- yield on property and yield on bonds is sufficiently large that even as yields increase on bonds you you wouldn't think there'd be a massive sell-off and the issues that have, the industry has faced in the past in the late 80s it was undone by overdevelopment that is definitely not the case at the moment 2006-7 it was undone by high debt levels that's really not the case certainly not with the the major REITs um, I mean not least because the banking sector has been so reluctant to lend until quite recently mm-hmm. Um, so it's hard, to, I mean, you know, maybe this is the the, the problem is that with every crisis, there's an, an, a different reason and it's hard to see what that is in advance. But certainly the reasons for the last two property downturns don't look like they're going to be repeated.
0: Indeed, I mean, in terms of their uh, tenants, I mean, you know, UK economic growth is strong. And,
2: and yeah, and we've got, you know, this healthy economy. And, and this, is the, this, this is, I guess, why it's been pretty popular with investors lately, because it, it's not exposed to the problems we've seen elsewhere, you know, there's endless prob you know, the China and the emerging market slowdown, Russian sanctions, all these you know, I was speaking to the chief executive of Road Talk on Wednesday, sort of engineering business, which always we've we've got used to it reporting record profits every year, and this year it said it's not going to because, you know, it's been hit by Russian sanctions and China and strong pounds and the rest of it. And none of these problems which have faced even the most high quality of uh, the kind of international-minded businesses. We have which which Rotor Yeah, mean, we, we, which Rotor Super high-quality business. Exactly, exactly. Even those really high-quality ones have been hit by, by problems. And you don't have to worry about that with property because it's a very parochial industry. Hammerson's the only one that owns stuff outside of the UK. That's in France. In France, and it? it's just bought this Irish business as right. well. But, um, yeah, the rest of them are really a very local businesses that's exposed to the reasonably strong business recovery
0: i mean so, i guess one thing uh you mentioned here is to be wary of those companies that perhaps have exposure to, to re- shopping centers to, to retail, retail.
2: yes yeah, so retail is the weak spot and has been the weak spot in the recovery and it's that's because of e-commerce competition from e-commerce and the fact that it was, it was overdeveloped in 2005 six, seven, so there's still a legacy of shops that hasn't really been eaten up by the recovery um as re- you know retail chains of have reduced their store estates. Mm.
0: Well, I noticed this week that uh, Walmart has had a big profit warning. In fact, today. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it's blaming Amazon, like, I guess, pretty squarely for that.
2: Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's investing in e-commerce. Now, it's, it's really very interesting that um, it's it's said that because it needs to re... In, well, it's having to pay its staff a bit more, which is another local theme in the UK, which property isn't exposed to, but mm-hmm. a lot of businesses are. But also, yeah, it's having to invest in, in e-commerce and um that is very expensive and we actually there's a there's an example of that in this week's results section here n brown is another company which um has long been touted as a recovery story but yeah it's just the costs of transitioning to from a catalog business to a this is this plus-sized yeah retailer i know yeah. it very well yeah <laughs> yeah you used to cover it not Do that you? i don't shop there Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there, it used to be a catalog retailer predominantly, yes. and and it's been shifting towards a digital model. You know, you'd have thought it was well placed. Well, it but... used to say that it was well placed. <laughs> we're as a but catalog some, retailer, so, we are especially well placed to yeah, make the transition right. to digital retail. And we all know that next, as a catalog retailer, has, has done the digital transition really well. But for some reason, N Brown hasn't been able to do it without incurring massive costs. So that anyway, that, that's just a, a a side point. But yeah, Walmart has discovered that it it can't continue to churn out profit growth and keep on top of new technology Mm. which is a problem that most retailers have had. (laughs) Indeed so I guess I
0: guess the uh the kind of lessons to learn are if you're going for property there's still a lot of life left in that market in commercial property but be careful of perhaps some of the segments of it.
2: Yeah be careful of some of the segments and and be careful of over complacency I mean I, I don't know I don't think we're there yet but at some point the cycle will turn and we all know from history that these things happen in a way that you don't always expect, and so yes. you just have to be quite wary. But it, it all does look, it's going gangbusters, it looks like that's continuing, no particular reason to worry yet. Okay.
0: Should we stick with retail, very briefly, mm. uh, while we're on uh, results? DFS had uh, made the results, looks alright?
2: Yeah. Um, in fact, we, we were moved to put them on a speculative buy, because the shares are trading on 13 times earnings, and you know, it's not a super high quality business, but it 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 looks like it's a reasonably attractive entry price. You know they they had like for like growth of of nearly five percent, um, the year to August, which is pretty good.
0: Partly this is a housing story, I guess. Yes, and when, a cre- and a credit story, credit and housing. Yeah, absolutely. When both are in in good health, then you're going to sell more sofas.
2: Yeah, I mean exactly, and um, it's got a roll a store rollout and a digital story as well, and and an international rollout. It opened its first overseas store last November in near Amsterdam. And uh, hopes to open to more. Mm, it's also
0: Amsterdam. I know uh, other some other domestically <laughs> focused retailers that went out there. Carpetright. Carpet Right.
1: Yeah, it's yeah.
2: funny you mentioned Carpetright because it really is a, a strong parallel. I mean Carpet Right over the summer I think it was came out and said we want to broaden our appeal, by which it meant attract more middle class customers.
0: I've bought carpets from CarpetRight. I'd consider myself middle class. Well, no.
2: <laughs> you are fulfilling every dream. Absolutely, um, but uh, DFS has said almost exactly the same thing in its mm. results. Might seem
0: sensible. Yeah, seems but, sensible. Well,
2: I suppose the risk is that they they you know they have been very successful at focusing on a certain demographic, and um, I guess they don't want to alienate that demographic. But, yes,
0: yes. Um, um, there's another listed sofa retailer, FSCS, which. So does yeah, it well, doesn't look so, so rosy there.
1: There was a profit warning at SES um, just after Easter. Right. And
0: they hadn't been on the market very long at
1: that no. point. The Classic retailer excuse. I thought sure they, they blame the
2: weather. The weather. weather? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, that's going <laughs> to stop you <laughs> buying a sandwich. Yeah, I'm, re- I'm remembering now. this <laughs> was just, staying in. This sure. <laughs> yeah. is just after... Uh, Easter wasn't it and 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 actually from what I remember analysts at the time struggled to find an explanation mm. it was a really kind of mysterious one and, and actually I think a lot of it, it kind of burnt bridges with some of the people in the city who thought they hadn't been very upfront about their guidance
0: if ever I see a retailer blaming the weather or anything <laughs> that's it it's it's, it's a sell <laughs> it's it's the shonkiest excuse ever um Okay, let's uh, let's enough of sofas. Um, one more result that I think is probably worth mentioning is Bellway. Yeah, back to um,
2: to housing. I mean, this was this was a very very strong set sort of results. Amazing. Yeah, amazing. I Proving mean, the doubters wrong. Absolutely. You look at that five year track record. I mean, pre tax profit two thousand eleven sixty seven million, two thousand fifteen three hundred fifty four.
0: I guess. I mean, I guess again, it's hard to see what's going could go wrong because it's like we've you said with the. The commercial property sector, all the things that have derailed this sector in the past yeah. are not
2: there anymore. No, no, very cash ca- I mean it's not, it does actually have some debt 2% of its uh, a whole NA, 2%. A, NAV, so I mean it's very very, their balance sheets I mean, across the sector are very very health, healthy and well, we all know there's a housing shortage and so there's strong demand backed by government you know, a newly re-elected government mm. policy and the, the interest rate story obviously has derailed sentiment um at points in the last five years
0: although i think it's fair to say that the interest rate rise expectation is
2: yeah very, going to be pushed out yeah again, exactly again, so so again. exactly it's been pushed out and pushed out and, and it, the, the banking sector is getting more competitive as the recovery continues so even if it's not obvious that even if wholesale interest rates increase slightly maybe mortgage rates will remain very low because mm. the bank the banks will reduce their margins i mean that's that's what's been happening for the past couple of um, past couple of years anyway so so still a buy still a buy wow. yeah absolutely
1: it'll be interesting the next few months to see the house builders because you know traditionally and simon thompson has written about this every year there's traditionally a first quarter surge in house building shares uh, uh, last year he pressed the go button on that particular strategy in november and it served him wonderfully again so it'd be interesting to see whether we get that once more, can these shares go another leap forward or or not? I mean, it's just one to watch out for, one to be aware of for our readers. That it has worked almost every single year for years. The funny thing is, it
2: hasn't been just the first quarter, has it? I mean, not I this think, year, no. And and uh, I remember reading that the, the the house builders have actually outperformed the all share in each one of the last six years. I think I read. Mm. So it, it's been a remarkably consistent story.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, that's what a shortage of homes does for you. That's actually yeah. something that Jonas is uh, discussing this week in uh, his Property Matters column, which we've got this week. Mm, and Jonas yeah. is also looking at uh, London property in the Sex Focus. Yeah, there's, there's lots of
2: property in this uh, issue. Interesting one. The... Yeah, this was on the back of the government's sort of latest initiative yeah. to um, um, David Cameron announced last at uh, the party conference that they were going to... Um, repl- well, seemingly the initiative was that they were going to replace the uh, social housing allocation that house builders have to build alongside in their private developments with affordable homes to buy, um, to, uh, which on the face of it sounds good for house builders again because homes to buy tend to be higher margin than selling them wholesale to a housing association but yet. anyway it's all a bit unclear what the actual initiative is it's yet another political initiative but,
0: but what it doesn't seem to mean is that there's going to be a flood of new houses no, uh, I mean, being built and
2: yeah the only solution to that is social house building as i think Jonas is just the obvious or
1: council house council building council house building yeah exactly which council, is which is yeah. evaporated house. There's i mean there's exactly. none yeah. in the UK yeah. Yeah.
2: and um Sonos includes the chart which makes that obvious which is house building back since the second world war whatever it is and you know that actually private house buildings remain fairly steady but the delta the the amount by which it's fallen is all to do with the decline of public house building.
0: Absolutely and you know given the government's desire to save money certainly at a local level um, it's hard to see that ever-changing in terms of you know uh, a sudden surge in, uh, in in public sector house building yeah just cannot see it happening there you go conditions good for house builders so uh keep buying it seems keep buying okay that will do for the companies i think let's uh let's talk about james's pieces this week james pretty you're glad you turned up on time uh, yes <laughs> um right so you've done two pieces for this this week um, both of which were, were very, very interesting indeed. Um, let's talk about the high-yield system first, because this is something we dug up, dug up from the archives and, and you kind of put back together for us.
3: Yeah, it was originally um, uh, an IC feature from I think the 1930s. Yeah, it was a long time ago. Yeah, it was a long time ago where um, they they were um, looking at a long-running system, um, looking at sort of running high-yield stocks um, and, and selling those that fell below the portfolio average. Mm. Um, Uh, It's fair to say that I've modified it a bit. I mean, the temptation is enormous um, with a a supposedly passive system um, to tinker with it. Um, um, But I I actually, I couldn't resist um, on the full year review because I had to go back and backtest and think, to make this system something that you could follow and and use, uh, we had to do something about costs. Um, The the turnover was was too high. Um, So uh, I've um, I've borrowed a few... um, Uh, Portfolio Management Tricks from uh, Anthony Garner, one of our our, our columnists as well. Um, uh, Specifically, uh, not selling uh, stocks unless um, um, the system necessitated a 5% move in, in in the portfolio holding in the in the balancing in the balancing of the in portfolio, the ba- of the portfolio yeah. um, initially the portfolio was an equal weighted system so um, every three months you would you would look at the 15 holdings uh, and you would you would make buys and sells in order to have an equal weighting to bring everything. It back to bring it back into right. balance um, uh, that sort of a bit nonsensical in, in in some cases. I mean, we've got in the high-yield system, which was run in, in, in July, you had um, companies like uh, BHP Billiton, um, Anglo-American, um, you know, it's, uh, in the bloodletting in the commodities markets, you're effectively, um, you know, you're, you're buying something which is on a downtrend just for the sake of symmetry, um, which, which which seems absurd. Yeah, I mean, they've, uh, they've really hit the performance of the overall mm. portfolio.
0: I mean, BHP down 38%. Anglo-American mm. down 52%. Mm.
3: Everything else looks like it's doing okay. Yeah, and it's um, it, uh, a lot of, yeah, so some quite stable defensives there when you look at them, it, it, Imperial Tobacco. Um, one of the criticisms of the portfolio would be it wasn't particularly balanced. Um, it's uh, it's a lot of the companies there um, have, yeah, high exposure to um, so infrastructure spending um, and the property boom in the UK. Um, a couple of um, real estate, a couple of REITs yeah, in there. Good performers there. Yeah, we, uh, yeah. Which is the uh, you know, reasons as Stephen discussed. Um, um, but but no, in in general. Um, uh, so we introduced diversification rules um, because we were very exposed to the broad um, financial sectors, um, so life in, life insurers, um, banks, and uh, uh, and uh, financial services. Um, so the idea is uh, is, is, is now um, we so it's quite balanced now. Um, but um, yeah, ostensibly we've got several different sectors in there, but but still a lot of those companies have exposure to um, to the same macro trends.
0: Yeah, well, you're sticking with the miners that you mm. uh, you mentioned here. Mm. Um, and we've discussed this on this podcast that, uh, you know, the bloodletting may be over. In fact, miners are bouncing strongly uh, mm. today and have done over the past uh, couple of weeks. Uh, the yields look good and potentially well, safe as well that's the beauty
3: of this system really is that it doesn't it, it prevents it puts a break on panic selling yeah um, in, in an issue um you know with with so for example with the miners um we because their yield have, have held up um you only sell a company if it falls below the portfolio average yield in this yeah um so that's kept the miners in it which means actually um we haven't um sort of panic sold out of something and, and effectively crystallized a loss you know a, It'd be a disastrous world in which sort of BHP Billiton went pot. So we've stayed in. It sort of we've stayed in for the long term with this system. Yeah. So
0: and it's I mean it is working. I mean mm. the returns aren't spectacular, but they're certainly beating the market. And you know for for a passive, essentially a tracking system. Mm. I mean this is creating a little bit of alpha, and that's what we want yeah, to see.
3: That's exactly. It's a two point seven six percent. This is assuming the equal weighting, of course. And mm. what we did when we went back, um, taking a hypothetical hundred and fifty gram pot. Um, uh, I took adv- um and this is available on the IC website. You can see the the past trades as well. Um, looked at the exact dividend payments, um, income tax, uh, assuming the the higher rate, which obviously will change in April twenty sixteen. Um, and looked at looked at um, transaction charges as well. Um, and and with all that taken into account, the overall gain with the, the only rebalancing of winners. So, i.e., a company with positive share price momentum, we would rebalance. Um, yeah. But we wouldn't rebalance a loser, um, which in that Version of the portfolio, it's seen the miners the holding proportionately fall in the portfolio, which which, which helps a lot um, with overall performance. Um, then that would have done three point four five percent, okay, so with all costs included. Which yeah, that's uh, that's quite a significant outperformance. That's decent. Uh, yeah. So are we uh, are we done with the tweaking. Uh, I I think so now. I mean, I've, I'm also <laughs> going to change it to. i have mean, sort of Claudio Ranieri is now uh, back in the Premier League as um, as manager of Leicester City. Doing and, very well. Uh, yes, he's doing very well, and and so is the high yield system. But, but I think Tink, Tinker Man is done for now. Right, uh, good, glad yeah. to hear
0: it. Okay, let's yeah. talk about quickly uh, the tactical portfolio you put together. It's quite interesting. So this is based on asset allocation mm. principles that we've discussed uh, before in the magazine, and what you've done is look at some of the literature some of the current thinking of some of the big big houses out there see what their tactical allocations should be what they're thinking at the moment and and you put a portfolio together What some portfolio ideas Together. Some ideas,
3: um, not entirely based on what the investment houses have done. What they produce, it's not intended as investment advice, and it's certainly not intended for a retail investor audience. Um, but obviously, now that investors have access to low-cost ETFs, it's actually it's far easier to, to put together um, a, a few portfolio ideas um, based on... Um, and some of that research um so so i was looking at um whether um goldman sachs and morgan stanley um whether they were overweight or underweight in their allocations um towards various asset classes so um within equities obviously invest read is very interested in um Overall, you know, they, they prefer Japan and Europe to the U.S., which um, they believe... Uh, is, on valu- is a, on grounds, valuation grounds. On valuation grounds, yeah, yeah, yeah um, believe it. But, you know, that said, the U.S. has performed well, and, and the idea is, is I think, that being underweight does not mean being out of a market. Um, mm. So in my allocation, which, yeah, you know, I've, I've sort of... Finger in the air stuff. Really, I've I've got a seven and a half percent allocation to U.S. shares via the the, the Vanguard ETF, um, and I've got a higher allocation towards European and Japanese shares. Um, like- I've Changes slightly to be more um, the bias of a of a domestic UK investor. So I've got a domestic bias towards UK shares, or um, and and you know my my bonds allocation. The the, the basic split of it's based on the IC ideal portfolio balance strategy, which was fifty percent equities, forty percent bonds, five percent cash, and five percent gold. I've tweaked that significantly to give a broader asset allocation. I've um, I've introduced bond substitutes in the forty percent bond allocation. So only Basically, again, for reasons of, of cost effectiveness, um, okay. uh, you know, in a, in a low interest rates as a global phenomenon. Um, so it makes sense really, um, I think, you know, just to have your government debt in, in just in, in UK debt, I mean, you're not a big investment house. Mm. Um, you, you don't need to be, you're not doing clever immunization strategies or whatever. You, you're you're um, you're looking at, you know, so, so something that's just going to be safe um, and reduce the risk of your portfolio. So UK debt, I've Put ten percent in high yield corporate debt, which was um, um, something which, um, again, as we talk about um, interest rates being uh, rises um, kicked further down the line um, into the long grass, um, potentially going into twenty sixteen. Um, you know, the. Morgan Stanley did did highlight um, corporate debt as a as potentially um, a good area um, so so we've got an allocation there um, for reasons you know Stephen touched on with the yield on property I've actually stuck some of the um, the bonds allocation into the property um, with- not so keen
0: on commodities I know it's, there's been a bit of a change of heart there yeah. for the big houses but uh, you're not so keen
3: I well I you know that their reasoning is sound um, as you say we've seen a bounce in the miners in the last couple of days I, I think if you're a a private investor wait for a clear uptrend on on something like that. With, with it, it's 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 not going to be the co- it's it's a it's a satellite holding exposure mm. to commodities. We've got a we've got exposure to to you know to. Um, things like large mining stocks with our, our FTSE, um our, our UK large shares, large cap allocation here anyway. As if there's a powerful uptrend, we've got plenty of cash in the portfolio to jump in if we want to, and we can we can tweak things.
0: Okay, good stuff. Well, it's um, I mean the ETFs you, you've uh, outlined all from our top fifty ETFs, so yeah. can all, be all very cheaply, and uh, ones that we recommend as as kind of doing what they say on the tin. Um, so this is this is a strategy you could play. Yeah, very, very cheaply, which given that asset allocation is, is such an mm. important factor in, in overall returns this could actually be a, a very sensible portfolio for someone who doesn't really have a lot of time on their hands
3: yeah it's, uh, it's it's something that we can we can take a view on every every three months um and it wouldn't take a lot of trades
0: yeah yeah good so. stuff okay thanks james um and that's about it i mean actually it's quite a quite an action-packed magazine this week we haven't even discussed barclays and we're not going to either given the airtime. Um, we got a new chief exec, or they're about today. A new chief exec, for what it's worth. Um, what else have we got in the magazine? So the cover feature, armor plates shares. It kind of, it's a companion piece to to, to last week's cover feature, um, and it's about competitive advantage and the barriers to entry uh, that that companies have, which uh, potentially make some very good investments. And what uh, Philip Ryland is doing uh, there is. is essentially telling you how to spot them with some good examples. Um, but you know, learning how to do this kind of stuff yourself is really what makes a difference. And there's a, there's a tool, a spreadsheet on our website that you can download uh, that comes as the feature that, that will perhaps give you some help doing that. Um, stock screen from Algae. It's uh, a growth um, screen uh, looking at AIM shares using his genuine value ratio, TM Algae Hall. Uh, it's basically a low peg Uh, high yield screen Um, and we obviously have all the usual stuff, tips, we've got comment from Bearball, from The Trader, from Dillo, and Simon Thompson, Uh, lots in the PF section as well which they will no doubt be discussing on their podcast which you can hear on the website this week too, so thank you very much everyone, thank you Stephen, thank you Graham, thank you James and uh, happy birthday to us again and uh, we'll be back uh, next week, thank you